You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. For those of you listeners who know my background a bit, you might remember the stories of my first few jobs after college. From being a mall cop to selling makeup door-to-door, I realized that I had skills that were being underutilized and that these minimum wage jobs couldn't support me or last forever. I spent years going through YouTube, reading books, listening to podcasts, and taking enough online courses to reinvent myself as a professional copywriter and digital marketer. Years later, thanks to my side hustles and drive, I've worked with national news outlets, multi-million dollar tech startups, nonprofits, and celebrities to build their brands and drive sales. None of this could have happened if I didn't develop in-demand skills. I had to do this alone, but you don't have to. You have Hustlers University 2.0. Hustlers University 2.0 is a community where you can learn real skills to earn money online today, starting with side hustles you can use to elevate your game. I'm not just an advocate for Hustlers University. I'm also a student. Every professor is verified to be making 10K to 500K monthly in their selected field. You get full resources, lesson plans, and an active community of thousands of other Hustlers University students working on skills such as stock analysis, cryptocurrencies, e-commerce, copywriting, which was my favorite course, one I actually went ahead and took last month. And as a copywriter of seven years... I even took a ton out of that, including some of the resources I was able to take over to my day job. You also learn freelancing, financial planning, affiliate marketing, business management, and so much more. If you're tired of depending on a boss who hates you to deliver your paycheck or have learned since the lockdowns that controlling the source of your income is vital to your individual freedom, sign up for Hustlers University 2.0 today using the link in the show notes. I'll see you there. Don't read it. 
It's a it's a hor it's a horrible fucking book. We're 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 just gonna start the show now. That's the cold open. I've been so I, I don't read as much fiction as I used to. I think I get my fiction consumption from a lot of the comics I read. You know, I watch TV that type of stuff. Usually when I'm watch usually when I'm watching something, I don't watch like biopics and stuff as often as I used to. Though I am watching Tokyo Vice on HBO Max. But when I read stuff, I, I like to read improvement books, nonfiction. That's usually my jam. But I picked up this book that is like on every like um, toxic, like side hustle influencer channel imaginable because they all do like the books that will change your life. And one of them is the 5 a.m. club. I can't tell you who wrote it. I can't really tell you what it's about because I, I got the audio book and I try and listen to it before I go to sleep. But what I do listen to is just this like, if you wake up three to four hours early, your life will change. You'll make more money. Your dick will be harder. Your happiness will just be off the charts. So I'm listening to this. Like I used to wake up at 5 a.m. every day and go do morning PT. And I fucking hated my life. And it didn't didn't improve much. Now, if I own my time in the morning, maybe, maybe I could do that. I'm not saying that if I have more time in the day, like that would be fine. But that's like, would I rather do that? Or would I rather sleep? And uh, today was an example because I tried waking up. I tried following the book's instructions. I tried waking up at 5 a.m. Uh, each day this week. And it was it was a struggle. It was a struggle. I, I was only successful one day. I went to a morning jujitsu class. And I was like, okay, like maybe I can get into it. And then Wednesday, Thursday, I was waking up at 5. And I was like, I hate my life. So today I woke up at 5. I did like an hour of just reading, going through emails, actually doing some work. And then I went and I thought I'm going to have like the most productive Saturday morning imaginable. I went and did a cold ice bath plunge with a friend of mine for an hour. And I'm like, that's really going to wake me up. It'll help my aching joints and stuff. And I did a two hour jujitsu open mat that they were doing that they usually don't do because it was a, it was a coach's birthday. So it was like, everyone come and fight each other. And I did that. And then I got home around one o'clock and I was like, wow, I'm so productive. I can get so much shit. I passed the fuck out immediately. As soon as I woke up about 20 minutes before this, I was like, I am never doing this again. Well, here's the thing is that you you read these books and they all give this great advice that you just do this and do that. And this is how you beat, procrastination and here's how you fix this. And what they don't understand is that not everybody's brain works the same. You can't do a one size fit all cookie cutter. This works for me. So therefore it worked for everybody. Right. So whatever works for you is what's best for you. I found out after trying to convince myself, I didn't for 30 years that I have ADHD and I didn't know. I just thought that that was just kind of a weird thing that they were trying to get people to believe that they have this thing and they need some medicine and stuff like that. But once I realized what it was and how it affected me, it, I got acceptance of myself to say, okay, this is just how my brain works. Here's how I need to get by, get better in our society today. So yeah, that's, that's always been the thing for me is that it. It, like you, when you when they talk about getting up at five in the morning, that's not how ADHD people work. ADHD people hate to get up in the morning, but they hate to go to bed at night. So you find that they are usually more productive between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. 
That's their most productive time. I'm up till four or five in the morning sometimes, right? And then I'll work. I'll get up at nine, go to work, get off work, take a two or three hour nap, get up, do stuff I want to do until three, four in the morning, then go back to sleep again. So I'm doing like my eight hours in two, four hour chunks. And that seems to work best for me. I, I've I always feel so exhausted. Yeah. I, I've always been like a night person. Like when I was at the Washington times, I really loved that because I was in the night newsroom. So I worked from one to nine and it was awesome. Mm-hmm. I also, I also like the oh, yeah. fact that it was mostly empty. So I was also mainly like left alone. And, and now right. I find that it's like, you know, my, I, I got, I didn't get in trouble, but like I, I got lectured by one of my new bosses because she was like, well, you know, we, we, we have an issue with uh, your, your attendance in the office. I'm like, my attendance is in the office. I'm in the office every day. And she's like, yeah, but you don't come in at the same time. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm at my desk by 9 a.m. because the hours are 9 to 5. Some, you know, I try and get like 10 minutes early, get a jump start on stuff. But, you know, some days I'll be in at 8.30, 8.15, 8.40. Like, you know, it's based off when I come in because I, I really sleep in till like the last minute. And it's not like when I did it in college because I just wasn't sleeping and I was being lazy and I wasn't taking care of that. This is because when I get home from work, I've got like an hour and a half to two hours to myself. And then I do all my other work and all my other work that I do takes me till about 1130 midnight. And it's not that, you know, I'm just have so much stuff. That's the only way I can cram it. That one, that's when I have the most time available, but it's also when I'm the most productive. So it's like, if I want to be in at work 10 minutes early, unless you were telling me I have to be in at a certain time, I am always in by 9am. So I don't know what your problem is. And she responded with, well, you know, you're young and, it, which I was like, oh, that's ageism right there. You know, uh, X person, that person over there is your age. And, you know, she comes in at 830. I'm like, because that's her choice. Because that's her choice. And if she wants to come at 8 a.m. and work nine hours, giving you a free hour, she can absolutely do that. And when I said it that way, they're like, oh, he's on to us. I'm like, I'm not, oh. I'm not working more or less. I'm doing exactly what I need to do for my hours. How many pieces of flair do you have on, right? Is it the bare minimum or are you trying to go above and beyond? And that's the thing that they're trying to do with you right there. So it's like, if you want me to come in at 830, tell me to come in at 830. I'll come in at 830. That's the, that's the, what you want. But if you were telling me to be in or nine, don't get mad if I'm not in here before nine, you know, that's just doesn't make any sense, but it's, like I said, it's the, the, the office, you know, the office space joke about the flare is the same thing. It's something that I I didn't think was as real until like the last couple of years, because what I've noticed is that you've got like these two separate employee like tribes they're trying to create. It's like the people who were just very obviously there to pick up a paycheck. And then you've got the people where it's like, we're going to tell them they could be the, the CEOs, the big bosses, that they're going to make all the money and everything. But what they're actually doing is they're not actually like mentoring you or anything. They're just trying to like drain you of all your time and energy and willpower because they know that the other people are there because they figured it out and they just do their own thing. As long as they're good at their job, they won't get fired. But with you, they can go ahead and like suck the soul out of you, like Shao Kahn from freaking Mortal Kombat. Because they know that there's other people that they can go ahead and bring in and just, you know, create like the steamroller effect with everything. And it's just, it's yeah, you're, not healthy. You're a resource. Yeah. And they're going to use you just like a resource. They're not, and, it, and it's not everybody like that. I mean, the company I work for right now, 
has their moments with like that. But if you have personal things come up, I've already seen proven to me time and time again, that they're more about taking care of you and making sure you're, you're good. So, cause if you're good, then you're going to do a better job. So like when my wife got cancer, they're like, just take the time you need, go do what you need to do, blah, blah, blah. Right. And they've been great ever since then. They said, you don't have to travel anymore. You know, since you have to take care of her, we're going to make it so you don't have to travel. We'll work around it and give the people because we have engineers who wanted to travel. So let's get them those jobs. We get the ones that you can do remotely. We'll give you those and then that'll work itself out. And That's a good they company. still get, yeah. Oh, it's great. It's the best company. That's why, I mean, I could probably leave the company right now and make another 40, 50,000 a year, but would I be as happy? And I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially it, if it's to, to get that job, I'd probably have to drive into an office every day. I don't have to do that now. I save two hours a day for me to do what I want to do with by not having to commute an hour in and an hour back every day. And it, I don't need to do that. I can do everything I do remotely. So why why would I do that? That makes no sense. So it's just not worth it to me. I mean, I'd love to get more money where I'm at now. And they do give me raises every year and it's fine. But and I get bonuses and et cetera and profit sharing. They, they give, ton, they give tons of stuff out. So uh, they do take care of us. So that it, it, so they're, they're in like the top 20 best places to work in the country type thing that they always show up in that list. And that's just because the people who work for them appreciate what they're doing and, and they get treated well and they stick around. That's how you keep employees. That's how you do employee retention is treating them like people, taking care of their needs, understanding that by doing so, you're making them a more productive person and a more loyal person. And they're going to make you more money. Yeah, just instead of blowing through people like Microsoft does. (laughs) They just blow through. I mean, they like fire the 10% of the workforce every year. The lowest 10% on ratings. Everybody's worried about the ratings that they get and all that stuff. And it's just a cutthroat, nasty environment from what I've, I've, I know people who have left where I work, went to go work for Microsoft and within a year they're back because they just didn't, they just didn't like the atmosphere anymore. So. You, you can only do so much for money. Like this is not like, this is not the highest salary I've ever earned, but you know, it's like when, when I was making like X amount of money higher, it was like, you know, I, I what, am, what am I trading in return for that? Now I have less time. Now I have a more toxic environment. Now I have less mobility in the company and it's, it, it's making me miserable. Therefore, I'm making everyone around me miserable. It, it's one of those situations where is, is offices throughout the country try and understand like what's going to be better for employees as they test out whether remote work was actually going to be good post lockdowns and whether they're going to do hybrid or whether they're going to come back to the office. You know, I don't think a one size fits all thing is good for everybody because I know some people who love coming into the office. I know some people who hate, um, you you know, going into the office. And then I know some people kind of like myself where it's like, you know, if given the option, I would like to know that if I come to the office, it's for a very specific reason and I'll have a desk there and we could work. And as long as the work is done, I can leave type of situation. And uh, you're, you're seeing a lot of people. I mean, like the, gr- the great resignation that's happened the past year. Now it's entering phase two, where now it's like companies are really starting to understand, like, how do we structure things around employees? 
because they started to actually see what happens when the workforce is like, you know what, I've got options. I don't even have to work in the same state. I could do stuff like, you know, several different time zones away and still do a productive job. And uh, I mean, I saw somebody on LinkedIn, she, she runs this, uh, this one software development company. And she was like, I run a company, I don't run a daycare. As long as my employees do their work, I don't care about whether they clock their hours. They just need to be attentive and make sure they're responsible. And we're going fully remote now. And it's like, you know, kudos to her, whether it works or not is a completely different thing. But it's like, you know, if that's the company culture where it's like, be a responsible adult and you'll be treated like one. I don't, I don't know why more people haven't, haven't gone to that. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too, because even before the lockdown happened, um, I was doing a lot of remote work, but I would occasionally go in for certain things. But the problem was, you know, I mean, there was actually a period of time where they said, we want you, if you're not on site with a customer, we want you in the office so we can, you can interfere, interface with the, uh, well, interfere is probably the better word, uh, but interface with the sales team and you can all, you know, you know, help them work and do, do things. And it's like, the problem is, is that when I would go into the office, I didn't really have a place that was mine. So we, you know, it, we did have like shared cubicles. Like, you know, if you're in, there's like four or five cubicles for the people who are coming in. So it's not your desk, but it's a desk to sit at. But the problem is the sales guys are on their calls and they're loud. And it's an open environment. You can't get any work done. You're trying to talk to a customer. You can't talk to them while you're having all this conversation going on in the background. So you try to go to a conference room and work there. And in which case you're really just kind of defeating the purpose. You're not with them anymore. You're closed up in an office built room. So in, and then people would then come around and just want to have conversations because they hadn't seen you for a while. So you know how your kids, what's going on with this, what's going on with that. You know, you get all these conversations going on and you're not getting as much work done. I'm more productive at home without those distractions for me personally. Right. So I don't have a lot of home distractions. I don't have kids. I don't, you know, I don't have a lot of things I have to do that are constantly taking away uh, my attention. So I can focus and that's good for me as an ADHD, being able to focus on stuff, hyper-focus on things. Um, there, there are projects where I can do, you know, we do like a 40 hour bid on a project. I could probably get it done in four or five hours. I've done it enough times. I know what I'm doing. Um, I can do it in a lot less time. So I just focus on getting the work done. They, we still get paid and all that stuff. And then uh, I have a little bit more time free to myself to relax and do other things. So that helps with my type of, the way my brain works is that I have moments of super hyper focus, but then I have to step back and kind of divorce myself from it for a while. I have to kind of rest my brain. So it's like rest, 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 focus, 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 rest, you know, trying to do eight hours straight of that just would kill you in that regard. So knowing that's the key is really knowing what works best for you and businesses understanding that people are different and you can't do this. Everybody in at this time, everybody out at this time, this is how everything works. Can't be the same for everybody because that's not how everybody is. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the one thing I liked about remote work and I had, I had two fully remote work situations that one was really good and one was really bad. The one that was really good was the one where it was like, as long as I was accessible to, you know, fix things, as long as I got my work done they didn't ask. It's like, what are you doing now? Go, go and do like this professional training or whatever. They're more like, just get the work done and, and be on call during your hours and you'll be fine. And, and then the other one was, 
well, you know, we don't see you. We don't know if you're actively working. So we're going to go ahead and contact you and, you know, throw stuff at you at all hours of the day. And if you don't respond within like two minutes, that's a problem. And it basically turned into like, you know, uh, six, seven days where it was like the moment you wake up until like midnight was when you were working and they, they took advantage of that. And the one time I asked about it, I'm like, you know, there should really be a cutoff time because you shouldn't be bothering employees with like little things like that are not explicitly work related after hours. It was like, well, you know, we just have this philosophy that the hours are spread throughout the day. And I'm like, yeah, it's called eight hours. And uh, you, you kind of just work that. And if you want us to be on call for all these things that get all hours of the day, like something has to change. And, and that was, that, that was really like, it, it, even though I was working at home, it was like, now it's almost worse because now I, you know, the place where I used to relax is now the place where I do all my work and I can't escape it. I mean, it was, uh, I got, I got yelled at by, <laughs> I'll, I'll go ahead and out him. I, I, when I was at parlor, I was managing Mark Levin's parlor account. I had to copy and paste all of his tweets into parlor. Uh, I could say this now because I reread my contract and, uh, they can't sue me anymore. So I, I went ahead and that guy would tweet at like 3am. If he sent a tweet at 3am, I would get a call from one of my bosses and I would just get reamed over or I would get a call from Mark Levin's producer. Like Mark is really upset. You didn't you know, copy and paste this thing. I'm like, it's 3am. Like he couldn't do that. Like this isn't even part of my contract. I got voluntold to do this for a week. It turned into three months. And uh, I mean, one time I was, I was driving, I w- it was like seven in the morning. I, I was East coast. Everyone else was Pacific. So I had like a, a good amount of warning to myself and uh, I got a call from his producer and he was like, Mark just sent out a series of tweets in, in the past five minutes. And he saw that you didn't post it there. And, you know, do I need to call your boss on this? I'm like, listen, I, I'm not working right now. I'm driving. And he literally said, pull over. I'm like, Are you, what the fuck do you say? He's like, pull over and copy and paste them. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. And I mean, that, that's a, this might be a little bit more of like a next level, like toxic work environment thing, but it's like, it goes back to the point where it's like, if you don't set the boundaries with your boss and for employers, if you don't set up expectations with your employees, it, it's going to get to like this, this point where you're, you're going to grind each other down and it just doesn't create a good situation. Because I think a lot of people, they, they hate on the employers for why they're trying to do this. I don't give them as much shit as some people it's like they're trying to run a business they need to know that people are working they need to rely on their people but get to the point where you know from an employer view or to an employee view there's excess in both ends it it just comes down to you know having those actual conversations i think a lot of people avoid i avoided it and maybe that was to my own detriment but when i did try and set up those boundaries because they got accustomed to a certain level of productivity and stuff like that you can't go back even when you're making what I considered fair arguments, you, you can't go back. And it's, you have to agree upon those expectations because you can be thinking, I'm doing a great job. I'm getting all my stuff done. You know, I'm working this much a day. Everything's great. But if they're expecting something else and they're not telling you they're expecting something else, they're going to get upset with you and say, you're not doing what we're expecting you to do. And you're like, well, I didn't know that I was doing what I thought I was supposed to be doing. And that's how that gets that tension gets created because there's not effective communication. There's not effective understanding of what the expectations are on both sides. Right. So once you have that going for you, 
that really helps out a lot in those in those interactions between business owners and managers. And I, I was a manager for a period of time, um, middle management, and it was an interesting situation um, because I was actually promoted out of the group that I am now managing at that point. Um, so the people who were my peers were now reporting to me which changes the dynamic and it makes everything weird. And it's really hard to do. And my recommendation is the first time you're doing management, go to a different group or a different company or something to do that because you start off with a certain level of, of uh, perception of who you are and what the dynamics are. Right. And it just, it gets difficult when your, your people that are reporting to you still see you as a, coworker and they're like, Hey, you know, this is wrong. You know, this isn't how we, we like when we were working together, you would complain about this too. And I'm like, yeah, but I can't do anything about it. I can push up to upper management as much as I can, but I can only do so much. There's not, a, there's, you know, that that's the really hard part of middle management is you're trying to protect, you have to know when to push things back down to the employee or push things up to the bosses when to protect, when not to protect, you know, when, when to um, handle that situation. And that's really a fine line to learn. It takes a while to learn that. So, you know, they would come to me with things like, Hey, we need this. We need that. We need this change. We need that change. And I can go to my upper, my bosses and say, they're saying that they need this. And they're like, well, we don't care. So then what you do, you, you look like you're an ineffective manager. You're not listening to them. When I am, I'm trying to get it done, but it's there's only so much you can do at that point. So it's a. Uh, I, I try to give some. I try to give managers a little bit of leeway on all that stuff because I know what they go through. I know what they're dealing with. So I, the guys who are calling you, they're getting yelled at, you know, themselves. So they're just trying to get it done so they can get taken off and they can go do their thing and they don't have to worry about it either. So it's usually somebody who is in charge really shouldn't be um, don't have good people skills and are very unreasonable. Those people are usually the ones who push things down and everybody underneath just feels terrible because of it. There was a, there's an episode of the Ken Coleman show on the Dave Ramsey network. I listen to, I, I like hearing the calls from people who were dealing with career changes and stuff like that, but he went ahead and read a study. I don't remember who it was from. So I'm going to paraphrase it, but they were basically like, why is it the least friendly people in an office or the people that have the less people skills tend to, you know, get higher up the corporate ladder? Why is it those people tend to get in positions of leadership and stuff like that? Why is it they get promotions more? And it's not always because they're just, they just happen to be better. Or they're playing office politics. What they found when they surveyed like a thousand or so Americans in, in like corporate America over the last couple of years, they found that it wasn't necessarily because they were remotely more talented or better than other employees who they felt probably should have gotten the promotions, you know, especially in leadership positions where they were in charge of other people. It was because so many people try and avoid those coworkers. So many people try and like go to another department or switch teams or even leave another company that that person ends up just staying because nobody really wants to deal with them. And then almost by default, they get promoted. And I didn't think that was real 
until I really started to think about it. And I looked at some of the people that I had dealt with in the past and, you know, management positions before. And I was like, no one ever necessarily liked them. No one ever said they were necessarily really good at their job. It always came down to, well, he's been here a while. Well, she's been here a while. And it's just like, yeah. And there were a lot of people trying to move around them in between. And uh, as I've been thinking about that, that kind of shocks me. And the other thing too, is that, they're not as important to the functioning of the group at the time. Right. So there are a lot of times where people are like, I want to get a promotion and they work really hard. And then they're told we can't promote you. And and the reason why is because they don't know how they would replace that person. Mm-hmm. Cause that person's so integral into what they're doing. So you make yourself now unpromotable by some people who would see that and say, Hey, we have to worry about, continuing the function at the rate that we are continuing to function at. We promote this person. It's just another manager. We could have anybody do that job. You know, it's <laughs> kind of how they look at it. They just need somebody to, to manage things. They don't need anybody to do the actual work. Um, so I've seen that before where you, I've gotten myself to a position where I was just so, so integral to the functioning of the group. Like when I got promoted to manager, I was still working as an engineer too, because he had work that needed to get done. And I had all this knowledge. And it was hard to say, hey, you go take care of this and spend two weeks working on it when I can fix it in a day and a half. Because I already know how everything works. I know how it needs to be fixed. And making that switch was hard. Um, but it was just like, you know, I would be getting told, hey, you need to start doing more management stuff unless working as an engineer. But in the same breath, hey, this stuff needs to get done in the shortest period of time possible. Go do it if you guys can't, you know, that sort of thing. So um, it you get, you can get yourself into that position. So I, I don't know where, how to fix that. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think you, that's you one of those things wanna... that can be fixed. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like a lot of issues, like a, a lot of workplace issues aren't even necessarily unique to the workplace. I think it has more to do with like exposure and circumstance because what I've always asked myself is if I was not working with these people now for somebody that I like, I'm, I'm like, if I was not working with this person, would I like this person or would I dislike this person? And same goes for the people who I don't like in the office. If I took away the environment, like the amount of time we have around each other, and I took away the exposure to challenges that we have to deal with each, with each other, would I like this person? Because there have been situations where people that I was friends with or people that I really got along with, I can't work with them. And that's always really awkward because it's like you like them as a person, but you dread having to work with them because they're unreliable or they, or they're just difficult to work with. And then it's also kind of weird because it's like the people that I know I can rely on to get a job done or the people that I know are effective what they're doing. It's like, I have to pretend to like them because we can get the job done together. But you know, as soon as you walk out the door, you don't even want to see that person. I, I think it just, I mean, I think that's why, conflict arises in workplaces and schools in congregations when people feel like they're more forced to deal with each other versus, you know, the people that you're friends with who you see on your own time, on your own terms, on your own circumstances, doing the stuff that you know you would both enjoy because we don't want to go into situations of conflict with each other. And I think that's just one of the things that alleviated a lot of workplace tension during the pandemic, because, what I found is that people that wouldn't want to go talk to each other in the office were way more communicative during the pandemic over email or phone calls or whatever, because they yeah. could have that separation. 
Yeah, you can IM somebody and have a conversation. You know, you don't need to get on a call. You can just say, "Hey, I got a quick question. They get a quick answer. Boom. You don't have to. You don't have to actually deal with them or function with them." And as like I said, it, the the power of being able to freely associate. You don't get that in a job position or a church position or some of these other things where you're you are. You know, you mentioned you're forced together with, like I said, with your friends or even with your family. At some point, you come to the realization: I don't need to spend time with these people if I don't want to. Uh, I can choose not to. And if it's not working out, if I was friends with someone for 20 years and then now I don't feel that anymore, we've both changed to the point where it's not fun anymore. I don't like to spend time with them anymore. We don't have to. There's no one forcing that. Right. So um, that's that's the issue right there, too, is this is that you're in a situation where you have to try to make the best of it with people that you don't have any control over who you're working with and trying to make it make it work. I can get along with just about anybody. I know this is probably going to sound really strange to anybody who <laughs> has dealt with me as a libertarian, but I can, for the most part, if you just, if we just sit down and talk, I can get along with just about anybody I have a good and, and be cordial and people will like me and everything will be fine. But when I'm in a situation where I'm trying to make a strong point or I'm trying to push an agenda or something like that, I'm going to rub people the wrong way. Because I'm not concerned about being friends with them at that point or being friendly with them at that point. Um, and I don't know if that's maybe something I should work on a little bit more and try to do, because I think maybe my points would come across better if I was in that state where I was kind of like seen as more of an ally or a friend than just uh, somebody who's trying to push a, a, a point. Is, of it, across. is it different? But, like, is it just is it just when you get on certain topics or is it just when like you're 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 not arguing, but like you're you're going back and forth to somebody like do, do you argue I, with people that you work with differently than argue with people who you don't have a risk of dealing with like office yeah. ostracization or something? Well, because I found that because with me. I, I'm, I get in a position sometimes where like I uh, was at the. Um, I was at my wife's dentist, right? So she's in there getting some work done. And the dentist that she has is um, from Russia. And then him and the, uh, the, the you know, nurse uh, who's helping the dental system is helping. Um, they are on this whole kick of, you know, Russia's being dragged into this Ukraine thing. It's not their fault. It's all propaganda from the U S and the Ukraine and all that, you know, you know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And, I would just like, that's interesting. And I would not even engage because it's like, there's no point. I'm just going to destroy this dynamic, this relationship I have with them. You don't want the person putting sharp things in your wife's mouth. I'm paying them this much money to to do this work for her. I want it done right. I don't want them worrying about me being, you know, getting into their crap, but leaving a bad review. They do great dental work by giving them one star because they were wrong on this geopolitical issue. Yeah, you can't do that. I mean, and and so I I find myself like that, just um, monitoring or or not monitoring, but uh, moderating myself in certain situations because I know that it's more important in this situation to be in a situation where we can get along and understand that hey, you know, we have this different agreement or different difference of opinion, and it's not important to our dynamic to hash that out. We can, we can agree to have that difference, but when we're in a, you're in a political movement and you're trying to push political you know, policies forward, you kind of have to have those arguments. And then it's in those arguments. Sometimes what I find is um, I, I, I do what's called coming in hot. That's what, uh, I don't know if you remember um, recently, Hody said something about this. A Jay-Z song. 
I think oh, he, no, no. oh yeah you guys had a conversation I, about that yeah 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 where you just he's like uh because i said it's weird because i don't block people i have nobody on my block list except for right now one person but that's an old that's a personal thing it's not mm-hmm. political and uh but i have nobody else on my block list even all the people who despise me in the movement but i'm on a lot of block lists so what I do is I annoy people to the point where they end up blocking me. And I, Cody said it was because I come in so hot that even um, Pearl Harbor Japanese zeros were saying, dude, too, too hot. <laughs> <laughs> I love Cody. You know, I've never met I'm a like, Mormon who was so funny, but then I remember he's an ex-Mormon, <laughs> so he has permission to be funny. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right for him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, He's hilarious. I was just like, okay, I'm taking that as a compliment because, you know, that's how I'm seeing it. Um, but yeah, I come in hot and it's like, I think it's more a case of like a lot of positions I've had, I've developed over three decades, right? It's not something I came to and I'm like, oh, I think this is an interesting idea or a hot take or something like that. It's like I developed this over a long time. So I really understand the process and the thinking and I, I know how it's going to go the conversation. So I know the arguments the other person's going to make and I'm just trying to stop it as fast as possible and say, okay, I know you're going to say this. I know you're going to come at me with this. So I'm going to say this to blunt it right up front. And then when that gets blunted, I think a lot of people get frustrated with that and start to, you know, they don't want to hear that. They don't want to be told they're wrong. Nobody wants to be told they're wrong. And and I mean, especially politics, politics is such a weird animal and I'm, I mean, it's, it's why I've disassociated a lot of my professional work from that mm-hmm. because it's like when, when people tie up a lot of their personal identity and with their job, I think that causes some, some, some issues that that person will have to encounter. I know I've certainly had to do that because there were certain parts, especially when I was starting out, like when I was an intern at freedom works, when I was an intern at MRC, before I actually started going and getting big boy jobs, like I look back and I'm like, God, I was such an asshole. Like, you know, I couldn't, I could not discern that my, my boss, who's a nice guy says something I disagree with. I have to just pound him with my arguments and take it to a point where it's like, you know what, now it's getting to the point where you should probably just stop. And it's, it's things like that, where it's like, I don't, I don't work with a lot of friends. Like, and I intentionally don't do that. Like people that I'm friends with, will hire me to do like one-off stuff or like if we've known each other for a while and then we want to start working on something professionally, I have to feel very comfortable with that because I have a very, I I have a rule that's like the friendship is worth more than the money from the situation. And it depends on the situation too. If it's like minor stuff here and there, it's like going to a friend who owns a garage and they're going to repair your car. That's fine. That's a one-off thing. When it comes into something that's more long-term, especially more business-like, it's like, uh, I I can already anticipate by knowing this person where problems will come. And I have to assess, is that worth it? Because I, if I know that's coming, like, should I, should I even go into this knowing that that's probably going to happen? And the situations where I had to ask myself that, and I still went through with it, it didn't work out. And the friendships suffered as a result from it. But, you yeah. know, another thing, and I'd like your take on this. I've, I've always hated bosses that say, you see here, we try and be like a family. I think that's a fucking trap. Every boss I've ever said that said, you see here, we like to treat everyone like family. 
my family treats each other like crap sometimes. <laughs> Like, you know, like that's just yeah, whose family you're talking about. Yeah, like this is not I don't I don't think you I don't think you and I have the same definition sometimes. I'm not talking like my, my parents, my brother, like I, I have a very good nuclear family, but like externally sometimes it's like I don't think like you know, it goes back to the question, would you associate with somebody outside of work? It's like there are some people I'm related to where it's like I only want to associate with you right now, but we're stuck together. It it, it comes but that's the thing is I tried I tried to tell my wife that because she has family that's the fa- I have a really great di- you know, nuclear family like you're talking about, but mm-hmm. her family is really kind of ah uh, crazy. And it's like, you don't have to, I mean, she, she's trying, oh, this is my father. I'm supposed to be, you know, he's supposed to take care of me. We're supposed to have this kind of relationship. I'm like, yeah, but you don't, you're not going to, the person is not capable of giving you what you need. They're not going to. They're not capable of doing it. And she knows this. She logically understands this, but she emotionally still gets upset about it. Right. And it's just like at some point you have to say if just because we're blood related to each other doesn't mean we ever have to talk to each other or see each other if we're not good with each other. If, if, if it's not um, positive experience, then why would I bash my head against the wall to try to make it one? And I if see the, the other issue. person's not responding. If the other person was trying to, yeah, that you work through it and you try to make it better. That's great. That makes the sense. other person yeah. has spent decades proving to you that it's just never going to happen. You kind of have to take a position at some point and say, I'm not going to worry about this anymore. I'm not going to let this defeat me as a person by constantly worrying about it and being upset about it. I'm just going to move on with my life. I'm going to talk, deal with people who do care about me and we're going to move forward. And, you know, if the person that someday in the future changes their mind as they're getting older and they're seeing that end of the road and they're thinking, Oh, I need to make amends. Yeah. Okay. You can have that conversation, but understand where it's coming from. It's not coming from because they really wanted to, it's because they feel guilty at this point. So, yeah. um, yeah, no, I yeah, mean, that's, that, that's, that makes all, I mean, that, that's a lot of the situations I've, I've dealt with. I, I think I know exactly where you're coming from. You have to have the boundary. I think when it comes to the workplace and when they're like, you know, we try and treat it here like a family, I've never seen that as a positive because the workplaces that tried to do that, three things immediately jump up that always freak me out. One, they want to get very invested in your personal life. I, I don't like that. Two, they're like, everyone needs to be friends. I don't need to be friends with the people I work with. There was a guy who was one of the best people I ever worked side by side with in my life. I would consider this person a person who I could probably call up right now and ask for a favor and he would help me. The issue is we had like three or four conversations and I don't remember his name, but we worked 50 hours a week together and he barely spoke a lick of English and this was a GameStop. But it was like, you know, we can... We, we can kind of do that. It, it's, it's one of the situations where it's like, I don't need to be friends with, with my coworkers. I don't need to know where their kids are going to school. I don't need to know about, you know, their hobbies. I'm not saying I I'm, you know, like, don't tell me that shit back off, but it's like, it's not necessary. Like we're here to do a job. Let's not pretend it, it's anything it's, more than that. It's the forcing of it. It's trying, it's trying to force people to become that family unit. Where if you're if you're in a, a business office in a situation where you have coworkers and that organically develops, awesome. And if you have management who helps foster that, great. But if you have management that comes and says we want you to all be like this, they're doing it because they think they're getting something out of it. They think they're going to get a better performance. They're going to get 
less conflict if they force everybody to like each other. And you can't force people to do that because when you start and, and you probably know this as a libertarian, when you tell somebody they can't do this or they shouldn't do this, that's what they want to do. That's what they're going to do. They're going to just despite you going to do that as opposed to, you know, taking a, a suggestion or a criticism and saying, OK, I'll, I'll change. You know, I see that and I'll change my point of view, maybe. When you tell them they have to, oh, that's just the worst. Because the intention isn't genuine. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, that, and that's, it, that's the thing. Like, and, and the third point with that is, I think when you say we want everyone to treat like family, it's almost like we want you to excuse bad behavior. We're going to make you say yes have, to something you don't want to say yes to. We need yeah. you to ignore something that you probably wouldn't ignore otherwise. Because you ignore it for and your it, family. There's an experience I had where I was working with this company and it was full of a lot of people who had been with the company for 20, 30 years. It was just, uh, you went into this company and you worked there and then you retired. And it, eventually we got new management come in, new CEO, CIO came in and just completely destroyed all of that. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> I, could go, I could go on two hour rant about the horrible person that he was as a human being. But, um, before that, though, we had this guy who was always a pain in everybody's butt. Everybody would just be like, I can't believe he's doing this or he's getting away with that and blah, blah, blah. And you would just get response back like, oh, that's just Bill. It's like if anybody else was doing that, you would call them out. But it's Bill and you're used to it. And, it, you know, he does his job and he works. So management's not going to push him on it. So everybody just leaves it alone and lets it happen. And it's <laughs> it's fun to watch that stuff happen because it's always these Terrible things that, like I said, if if you tried to do that or somebody else tried to do that stuff, you'd be pulled in and yelled at and everything else. But it's just like they feel like they can't. They bash their head against the wall enough. They don't want to do anything about it, uh, so they let it go. There and was that, a, that yeah. puts it a position in where people start saying, "Hey, there's preferential treatment," or "There, why is he able to do this? Why can't I do that?" And then you get into resentment between coworkers, and that can cause all kinds of problems. I had a really weird situation when I was a second lieutenant where I was, I was running uh, range, range ops for a few days and there was this supply sergeant who everyone just fucking hated. And he was like, he, he wasn't even like a senior NCO. He was like an E five. Like he was still part of the E four mafia. If people understand that, but like this guy was the guy who was directing and sending all the ammo to all the different ranges around our area and uh he was late to a few of them and some he didn't bring all the stuff and it wasn't necessarily that he was bad it's that he did it intentionally to spite some people like if he was late somewhere he was probably taking a smoke break if he didn't deliver you all your stuff it's not that he it's not that he did it intentionally it's that he would find one issue with your paperwork your request form and he would exploit it to basically say well you didn't get x y and z done therefore i'm not bringing you the extra and they'd like well we assumed you would do it and he was like well i go by the paperwork so your assumption was wrong so because he was doing that and because he had helped a lot of our other ncos when i it was my turn to run the ranges one of my e7s came over to me and he was like Lieutenant Martinez, don't have anything to do with this guy. I'm going to take care of it. But then something happened and my E7 is gone and then I have to deal with him. So kind of knowing this up front, like he was a short guy to a really diminutive guy. And when he came over to me, like he was like, he did not kind of treat me 
like an NCO should treat an officer. Now don't get me wrong. I know that it's, it's a give and take situation, but at least pretend because I knew, I knew who the NCOs and the enlisted soldiers who didn't like me were. At least they pretended to my face. They liked me. This guy gave no fucks. He's questioning my shit. He's criticizing everything I'm doing. He's, he's condescending to a degree, but I'm like, I need this guy to do this job. And if I'm not playing ball with him, it's going to be a very difficult situation for me. So I kind of just let it slide. And eventually I worked with him and long story short, I did him a favor. And after that, and it wasn't like I broke the rules or anything. It was a small, slight favor that I didn't have to do by volunteer to take care of it. And he was like, okay, fine. After that, he, and I had a completely different relationship and other people kind of saw that. And they were like, why is he doing this for Martinez now? Because then it was like, oh, what do they have going on? Are they conspiring against the rest of us? And it was like, shit. And it, it created this weird situation because now this guy that everyone hates gets along with me. And at one point he said, you know, sir, I just want to say you've been the easiest person to work with all day. I've got you covered if you need more help on stuff. And I was like, thank you. I appreciate it. And we, had, we were copacetic after that. We were cooking with Crisco. But then because of that, it, it led to a, a point where it's like, is he like this because of how he's treated? Or is he like this only because he found something rewarding from being nice to me from that situation? And that's not one of those things that you can kind of just say, if you do X, Y will happen. It's that kind of interpersonal stuff where it's like, you know, do I, am I tolerating this because I don't want an issue or am I just trying to find a way to deal with it in order to get him to want to work with me? It's, it's weird how that works with people. Yeah, it's it's also funny. Like I said, you know, I think I can get along with just about anybody, but then there's situations where you just don't mesh with people. And I had a weird situation happen when I was in boot camp. This is a funny one where we had two uh, company commanders, as it were, in boot camp. So they're you know, like E6s, E5s, whatever, doing their jobs. And um, I got pulled to be the company yeoman, which was like the company clerk, the radar O'Reilly of it, basically. So I would write all the forms out every day for all the food meals and get all this stuff together and do that. So, so I kind of had a little bit of status in the, in the, in the group. Uh, the reason I got the job is because one of the CEO, company commanders said, you know, I had filled out the form. He says, okay, now sign my name. Cause he did, you know, he, so I just signed his name as I'd seen him do it. And I was good at forgery. <laughs> and he just looked at it. He looked at me, he looked at it and he goes, you can do that every day now from now on. So he, cause he didn't want to deal with it. Right. But it turns out he was the one that had the most problem with me. The other company commander loved me. He thought I was great when we had a Thanksgiving break during boot camp. He actually allowed me to pick five other guys and he took us to his house for Thanksgiving dinner wow. off base. And he was, I think, think trying to get me to Should talk to get involved guy. with his daughter oh man yeah that took a turn <laughs> oh that was that was weird um which was really weird because i was engaged at the time it was a whole thing and blah blah, blah <laughs> which i shouldn't have been horrible mistake i made but anyway um but it was just weird so one day um it's during it's during a time where um, everybody's out doing jobs for the week and there's a house crew that sits around and, and kind of just takes care of the house. And I get to choose who the house crew was. I, I got away with murder during boot camp. It was amazing what I got away with. Uh, especially this story. I was, we were, um, 
I was in the office and there was one other person in there. It was a friend of mine who I, cause I had picked the group and his name was Charles Bronson. Like the actor. Yep. That was the name he had. And okay. so we called him Hollywood. Right. Um, and he was standing guard. Right. So he's standing outside the office in this guard position where he's supposed to do, or, you know, everybody had to do it for every couple hours. Right. So he's standing there and then I start joking with him. He starts talking back and he ends up leaving his post and coming in and sitting down. We're sitting there talking at the desk. Right. Um, and one of the other company commanders happened to walk by, saw nobody was standing there, come in there and just went off, started screaming, had him downstairs yelling at him at attention with the gun in his hand. He's they're just, it's just, it's ugly what, what they're doing to this guy. And they're like, we called your company commanders. They're going to come in because they were off for the week too, you know, kind of doing stuff. And uh, they're going to, they're going to have to take care of it. I said, which one did you call? He's like, we called this guy. I was like, no, that's not the one. He hates me. <laughs> I want the other guy. Right. <laughs> and as I'm trying to talk to them about, Hey, you know, this is, you know, this understanding blah, blah, blah. The other guy, the one that liked me just happened to walk in. Cause he was just like, I was just going to check in on what's going on today. You know, he was just coming in randomly. And I'm like, Hey, you got to help me. <laughs> I went to him and talked to him. I told him this whole story about, you know, I was upset about this and he was trying to help me out, blah, blah, blah. Smoothed it all over. Neither one of us had to do any PT or anything. It was all just smoothed over. And I don't know how he did it. And I don't know why he did it, but I, we were nailed. It was going to, it was ugly. So I don't know. It's, it's a, uh, it's interesting to see how relationships can change that. Cause like I said, if it had been the other guy to come in, we would have got ripped. I would have been doing three weeks of after hours, you know, we call it, um, um, was it mashing, make a sailor hurt. Mm. So, it, you know, that's like an hour of just going and just being physically just tore down. Uh, we didn't have to do that. We got away with it. Man, it all worked wild. out. I, I had I had like one or two NCOs that like really stuck up for me, and I had an officer who like took pity on me as like the new butter bar officer. But I mean, I think I think all this to to kind of wrap it up. All all this kind of indicates that like pe- people need to understand. I think the one good thing that has come out of the last couple of years is that employees feel more empowerment than they typically had in years past. I think on the employer end, I think what this has done is this has basically highlighted the good behaviors of what good looks like as now people are looking at, you know, who are the employers that didn't have to have these problems? Who are the ones that adapted and still were able to do their job? I think those people have been, you know, elevated to a higher standing and reputation. And I also think this is really highlighted to people, you know, like what, what, what is really the degree of tolerance you're willing to have with toxic workplaces or toxic bosses and stuff like that. And I hope that's definitely forced a lot of employers and managers and people in leadership position to basically say, listen, we all went through shit together. We're all trying to get through shit now. We should not make our lives more necessarily difficult. It's like the situation of that Applebee's restaurant that that was all of the news a few weeks ago where an email got exposed and the, the one of the franchise owners was like, listen, because of inflation and everything and gas prices and everything else, we can make our employees work harder. And we can also say that because of uh, supply chain stuff and you know revenue and stuff, we're not giving anyone additional raises or anything. It's going to be awesome. And it's like, dude, you don't fucking do that. And then the what email gets, then yeah. the email gets I, leaked and everyone walks out on it. Yeah. 
I read I've read somewhere, you know, statistically, I guess corporate profits are the highest they've been in 70 years. Which is wild when like, you look at what's happened. Yeah. Yeah. When you look at you know, people complaining and getting, you know, and and it's interesting to watch the labor force start to gain more power because it's been like an it, it, I've seen it over my time kind of ebb and flow. And now that we have such low unemployment, which is partially because of, you know, the protectionism of the uh, immigration policies and all that stuff. Um, the people who were for doing that and protecting the, the workers' salaries are now finding that they're given the employees more power. So they're going to form more types of unions and get more control of what they're, what's going on in their companies, which is the exact opposite of what this, those people who normally would be trying to get that happen to, to that that's not the end res, not the end result they wanted to see right so they wanted to kind of have more of a balanced dynamic but yeah with with such low unemployment the worker becomes much more important and powerful in organizations like that and the question is what's how long is that going to last and what are they going to get out of it are they going to get any kind of concessions that are going to last from that point forward you know like we've seen in the past where you know 40-hour work weeks and you know stuff like that so do do those things kind of hedge on where now it's, ex, you know, they get an expectation of, of working remote for most jobs. Like if the job can be done remote, you have that option now. Is that going to become a mainstay? Is that going to be something that's going to last long or is it going to change as soon as the employment starts, the unemployment numbers start to rise and there's more jobs, which may or may not happen, you know, but if that does, does that dynamic change again? Do we lose all that stuff? Yeah. And it's why when I look at like, you know, and it's not, it's not Amazon, it was some other industry in some other state where basically the employees are trying to unionize. I kind of looked at that and I kind of wanted them to succeed, not for the reasons that some people would. I wanted them to succeed because I know the negative repercussions that will happen from unionizing to a certain degree. It's never positive for the employee who thinks that they're going to benefit from it the most in most cases. West Virginia coal miners, I think, are different than Amazon warehouse employees. But that's just my opinion. But like when, when I look at that, it's like, you know, give, give them give the world, give the industries that are watching this a taste of what bad looks like when that happens, when you don't treat your employees like and try and meet them now and be a real leader and try and actually make things better. So that way they won't even want to do that. If you're treating them well, e- even if they don't get what they want, but they think that you're fair, they won't do that. It- it's My almost like a, a sheep- cautionary stale- tale. Yeah. My father was a sheet metal worker and was in a union his whole life. And my brother is in the same union. And they will die for that union because the union has gotten them a lot of things that they probably wouldn't be able to get on their own because they're just a cog. You know, and they understand that they're just a cog at that point. It, you know, it's a, it's a skilled trade, still trade services, but just about anybody could be taught that trade if they wanted to come in and work. So mm-hmm. there's apprenticeship programs and all that stuff. But my dad ended up getting uh, disabled when he was in his uh, about the same age I am right now. Um, and it was basically just taken care of by the union. He had pensions. He had retirement stuff. He had disability stuff. He didn't have to worry about anything like that, like money-wise for the time he was dealing with his disability until the day he died, right? So that was all kind of handled because the union took care of it. Now, they were always trying to get him to go into management 
he refused because he didn't want to go on salary because he loved working overtime and getting paid the overtime. So he could put the money away and save money and stuff like that. So I don't know how much of a difference it would have been if he had been up in management at the time, if he would have still got all the stuff he did, because I don't know if he'd still be in technically the union or not. Um, but that's, I think, one of the things he thought about, too. He wanted that union because he knew that that union was working for him. So it, it really depends on the quality of the union we're talking mm-hmm. about. You know, there's some unions out there that just take money from you and don't give you anything I, I that you couldn't have got on your own. Union, yeah, like the dock workers union in like San Francisco and New York, they're like the most notoriously corrupt union possible. But then I look at like, you know, what, what, like the West Virginia coal miners association that that union did. And it's like, you know, they weren't trying to like, you know, get egregious salaries. They just wanted their bosses to admit, listen, the guys are getting black lung provide them with better shit. It's like, you know, it, it it comes into a situation where it's like, it it has to get to the point where, especially in the United States where we are drifting regardless of administration towards a more service oriented society as more jobs become automated, as more stuff gets outsourced. Because when you look at the outsourcing of jobs between Obama and Trump, there was still a lot of stuff leaving and there were only a few things coming back. It's like, regardless of administration, we as a country are getting accustomed to the fact that we're going to have to find ways to get more technical people, even people at entry level, and we're not going to have as many options as people begin to work more remote and they can work anywhere. And now a lot of people are working for companies that are overseas based and stuff like that because we're providing those service jobs. So it's one of the situations where it's like, you know, workplace culture, all these things, things that we used to just think were stuff that maybe we could think of later when we have more time and everything else. This has become really essential. I've heard more conversations about this now than I've ever heard before. And it wasn't even necessarily that I was actively seeking to hear those conversations. It's just that now more people are having them. I think if people respond to this, it's a total me thing. If people respond to this and they're a leader as an employee, and if they're, if they're a leader as an employer or a manager, it's going to be better because everyone needs each other to help get the job done, pay their bills, so then we can go and do the shit we actually want to do. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are going to start realizing that they can just do the things that they want to do and find a way to make money doing it. And I, I, we see that now. It's part of the reason they're having you're having the great resignation is people are going, I can become an influencer, have fun doing the things I like doing, and get paid for it. You know, the advertising models there, the the social networking is there. They're able to do that now much easier than 10 years ago when it was really hard to do. So I think more and more people are seeing that as an option. And when you start seeing that as an option, you're not going to your traditional jobs anymore. Those are getting emptied and they need people to fill them. And they're going to have to start enticing people in by giving them uh, not just better money, but better conditions, a happier workplace, uh, treat the people with more respect. You know, those things are going to happen. You get, the workforce is just gaining more power and control in society. So I think it's better to do it that way. A lot of people are, you know, like, we don't like unions and stuff like that, but I would prefer to see a union in place than a government coming in trying to protect the employees outside of the, of the union. Right. So coming in saying, Hey, you know, like with the coal miners to say, you know, come in with all these rules and regulations about what, you know, safety and all that stuff. If you can just get the workers together and have a union person pushing forward that power to get the things that you need to protect you, that's a better solution than government force of those, of those protections. Um, So there is, you know, you have to have give and take in some of these things. 
Um, but really once I think once people start seeing that they have the power where the power really lies, I think it's going to expand beyond workplace. Yeah. Hopefully. People are going to start seeing that, Hey, you know, we have control of the workplace, but we also can control this other stuff too. And we can make an impact in other things. And you're going to see more people maybe getting involved in voting, more people getting involved in politics and getting um, better people doing things and better solutions for things. Who knows? I mean, that stuff may happen, may not happen, but I think we're poised for that as a possibility though. Completely agree. Completely agree. Reinhold, this was a great conversation. If people want to go ahead and argue with you online and not end up on your block list, how could they do so? Uh, you can get a hold of me on Facebook. I have a page called Reinhold and uh, you can search for Reinhold and that'll probably be the only thing that shows up. Um, uh, Twitter at Reinhold. Um, Twitch at Reinhold TV. Um, that's, uh, that's pretty much it, I think. And there's an Instagram, I think, Reinhold underscore Liberty. And folks, I'll make it easier for you. I'll go ahead and include all the links in the show notes so you can go ahead and connect after the show. Folks, if you enjoy conversations like this and more, please do me a quick favor. It costs you nothing, but means everything to me. A five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app across Al Gore's amazing internet. It costs you nothing but a few seconds, and it means everything to me. It helps us go ahead and reach more people and keep conversations like this going as we're trying to improve the lives of ourselves and those around us so we can lead leave more fulfilling and happy times on this planet. As always, I'm Ramsey W. Martinez. Be safe, be good. Good night.